You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It's July 29th, and I've got a great show for you this week. In uh, The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be giving you uh, the article Summertime by Anton LaVey, performed by our own Reverend Bill M., friend of the show. He very graciously recorded this and submitted it after it was a request. Uh, made on RadioFreeSatan.com. So, this is uh, action here. If you make a request for me to cover something, a uh, topic, uh, you know, I'm going to do my best to cover it. And in this case, we uh, sort of went uh, above and beyond. It's a really great, and right after, in the very Reverend Bill M. fashion, we have a, a very nice comedy clip. So, you're going to be enjoying that. In Infernal Informant, Federal Court Rules Against Birth Control Mandate. And, converted skeptic, humans driving recent warming. And in the creature feature, I'm going to bring you uh, my little review about the book Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. A really great book so far. I'm I'm like three-fourths of the way through it. it. It's really good. I'm going to go over that. And that's going to be the show. Before I jump into the show as usual, man, I have had the craziest week. Crazy week! Uh, Really. So, on Sunday, my wife uh, went out of town. <laughs> when she was out of town coming back home, my car would just rev up and it would never actually have an automatic. It wouldn't actually shift. So, her father towed it back into town the next morning, which is really nice of him. I do truly appreciate that. And I took it to the auto shop because, obviously, it's Sunday when they got back into town. No one's open. Monday morning, I bring it to an auto shop. And they say that it's a solenoid, broken solenoid, and we're going to have to get a new transmission. So I'm freaking out because I don't want to drop a little over two grand on a new transmission on a car that is a 2005. So I'm I'm a little bit upset here, and uh, my wife sends me an article. (laughs) It's like a Wikipedia article uh, about this dude who did it himself, like, repaired the solenoid on an O2, and how easy it is, and how a 14-year-old could do it, and I skim over it, and I berate my wife, uh, please, this is an O2, I have an O5, the mechanic themselves said they can't get to the solenoid, so what does this Wikipedia article have anything to do with anything? And I guess this story could be, uh, really why I love my wife, or why my wife kicks ass, or I should listen to my wife more often, because the, the, I, I ended up uh, the mechanics said that they can't fix it and I have to take it to a transmission shop. I ended up winning, going to the wrong transmission shop that they recommended, which ended up being really good because I talked to a mechanic at this other shop, the wrong one, and he said, well, you know, before we go and drop the you know, money for the new transmission, let me sort of troubleshoot it on my end. And so he did, and he suggested a flush with some cleaning agents and stuff. Uh, and so I, you know, he couldn't do it until two days from that day, and the dealer couldn't get to my car until three days from that day. So yeah, I was sitting around without a car, really frustrated. Ultimately, I ended up going back to that Wikipedia article and reading it and looking up transmission diagrams, and I ended up walking that mechanic through step by step based on this Wikipedia article. Fixing the transmission for a $50 part versus buying a brand new one because my wife sent me that article. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I could not believe that this stuff is actually accurate, even though... <laughs> I mean, I, you know, why wouldn't it be? But, I don't know, maybe I'm just a, a skeptic at heart. <laughs> I never think... I figure if the first mechanic said that they can't fix it and they can't get to the solenoid, they wouldn't have been lying to me. I mean, they would want my money. I don't know if they have, like, a kickback from the transmission dealer that they were sending me to, or or what. But 
I will never go back to that shop again, and I will always go to the shop that repaired my car this time. I mean, really, saving me just over eighteen hundred dollars. I mean, that's that's huge. You know, all, all time and everything put in. That's amazing. So, cars fixed. I'm a happy camper. <laughs> but for the past two weeks, you know, it, when it rains, it pours. Really, I've had this leaky faucet, and it started off as just a random. <laughs> drip, right? It got a little worse. So instead of boy, boy, it was boy, boy, boy. <laughs> right? And little sounds like that start to grate on you. Uh, it's just this painful thing to hear, especially when it's all silent at night. No, here was in in, in this so I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm a guy. I have to get off my ass and I have to fix this leak. And so I do all the quick things, you know, checking gaskets and stuff in the pipes, um, you know, little ball joint gaskets. So I end up looking underneath the sink. And this, I mean, my house is really old. It was it was built in the 50s. So I, I think a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of the plumbing is still from that time, which is terrible. So I ended up, well, if I'm going to... Um, you know, sort of repair these parts under the sink. I'm going to repair all the parts because I just want it to all be new. I don't want to have to deal with the same problem in another month, you know, from the the hot water valve. And if I'm going to do all that, I might as well change out the um, new faucet handles and everything. I might as well go the whole nine yards. Uh, I, I do that. I turn off the water to my house and I'm doing, like, redoing pipes and connectors and everything. And then I get this idea, well, you know, we have a leaky front yard water faucet valve, like, outside for the outside hose. I might as well repair that at the same time. And you know what? The one in the back doesn't have a handle, so while the water is off to the house, I might as well do that too. And it ended up being this huge freaking deal of changing out pipes and shit. I, I like, scraped up my knuckles and my arms on the brick outside trying to get these goddamn water faucets unscrewed from deep inside the wall and the front one I literally ripped off it was soldered it wasn't screwed in lead pipe like all the other ones in the house I don't know why and so I couldn't deal with the solder thing so I had to call an emergency plumber which obviously is really expensive and then they come out and look at me like I'm a jackass for trying to do this myself they ended up having to open up my daughter's room wall because the pipe goes through the wall and then down into the crawl space. It's just huge <laughs> hassle. Um, ultimately, now, now, you know, day and a half later, everything's fixed perfectly, but I've got a pretty sizable dent that I did not want in my wallet. And, I mean, to compound things, I've got a new sprinkler system being put in. It's just like this crazy week of uh, maintenance, plumbing, sprinkler systems, and I'm just trying to keep my head above water under, you know, throughout all of this. What a nightmare. You know it's not a nightmare? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Old Nick Magazine is not a nightmare. OldNickMagazine.com. Go check them out. Uh, Gentleman's Magazine all the way. You're gonna love it. You're never gonna regret picking up an issue. Now you can order the uh, physical magazine or you can actually get a digital copy for your phone or your computer or your pad whatever ipad um hey you know what really exciting news church of satan front they redid the website took away the frames that they had and sort of put up this really uh slim down version of a navigation presumably for i don't know mobile devices and and just ease of of, of navigating throughout the vast site and if you haven't gone to the church of satan.com in a while or ever, you really should. There's a lot of amazing articles. There's a ton of content. And I'm not just talking about the stereotypical interviews that you hear a thousand times about what Satanism is or, you know, the meaning or the nine satanic statements or 11 rules of the earth or anything like that. But, but there's actually some really amazing articles written and three new essays have been released by Magister Nemo, Magister Nadramia, and High Priest Magus Gilmore. So, I, I went through all these um, this last week. I think it was uh, one or two days ago when they released them. Um, Magister Nemo's uh, essay is Simplifying Satanic Atheism. And it's, it's uh, his take on being a skeptic atheist and what it means to be a satanic atheist. 
and Magister Nudramia's article on the role of ritual in the life of a Satanist. And I'm, I may in the future cover these in a little more detail like I do in The Devil's Advocate sometimes, but just to sort of give you a heads up on what these are about. Uh, Magister Nudramia does this really amazing article about ritual in your daily life and and what it really means and how it defines you as a Satanist and or or how through identifying yourself as a Satanist, ritual can be a, an integral part of your life. And then Magus Gilmore uh, released on honor, integrity, survival, and satisfaction, which is a, a really fantastic essay. It really covers a lot of ground. You, you should, really should just go read the three yourself. And, you know, I think that's going to do it for the, the beginning of the show here. Let's go ahead and dive into The Devil's Advocate with... And, and I'm not even going to... I'm not going to interrupt this at all. I'm going to let uh, Reverend Bill M. from beginning to end of the entire segment... Uh, cover his bases. So I will meet you in Infernal Informant on the other side. Enjoy. And again, thank you very much for the suggestion, listeners. I really, truly appreciate the interaction. I've been getting a lot lately, and you know, it, it really makes me feel like what I'm doing here is of value to, to you, and that's important. Uh, Reverend Bill M. is an amazing, amazing DJ. He uh, He's the DJ of The Devil's Mischief here on Radio Free Satan. Very funny. A ton of of amazing comedy clips, you can visit him at devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com and just navigate to the Devil's Mischief website. Thank you very much, Reverend Billen, for doing this, and everyone, summertime, enjoy. Why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? It don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Summertime, an essay by Anton Zandro LeVay, as read by Church of Satan Reverend Bill M. Summertime, and the living is... lousy. I hate summer. And I'm not alone. Summertime in urban areas is riot time, tourist time, pollution time, and psycho time. In rural areas, it's mosquito time, suburban-slash-heatstroke time, pollen time, litter time, boredom time... Vandal time and gangbang time. There's no worse time for tragedy than the sticky heat of summer, or for frantic attempts at pleasure. Christmas joy is an odious duty, but summer gaiety is a maladroit ritual performed with calculated chaos. Persons of refinement prefer the other seasons, which progress through their days less heavy-footedly. Despite nature's tantrums during other seasons, be they storms, floods, ice, or snow, Man has made summer his personal disaster season. Taking the warmth nature has provided, he has fashioned for himself an environment where his mindlessness flourishes most. It is the only season which validates slobs. Those who have found civilized behavior repugnant the rest of the year can celebrate their boorishness in grand style. I would enjoy spring more were it not for the impeding plague of summer, with its human locusts thriving in an atmosphere far deadlier, if radiation levels are considered, than the worst blizzards. Other seasons may be violent in themselves, but summer is virulent, an incubator for personal malaise and discord. I like autumn and winter best. A sunny autumn day has a relaxed purity, a mellow tranquility. As with the ancients, my autumn runs from August through October, and winter from November to February. 
My favorite aspect of summer is that on the solstice, the days grow shorter and the nights longer. The best thing about any day is its gentle lapse into night, the dark mantle whence all secrets evolve. Wintertime is hell for many, and understandably, it's a Tartarus that causes havoc. But within a snug harbor, winter can be the great season of contrast. In my noir world, the sticky glare of summer has no place, save for those parts of the world where nature has cheated humankind by injecting regional and regular fog and rain. An ardent supporter of controlled environments, many years ago I fashioned a room, a true ritual chamber, which I call the Cornwell Woolrich Memorial Hotel Room. It could have easily been named the Ouija Room or the Reginald Marsh Room. It consists of an exact duplication of a seedy hotel room in an old but still sound brick building. The walls are papered with faded yellow daisies, and a bluish carpeting clashes pleasantly with the brindle-colored woodwork. Outside the single window, it is always night and always raining, and an intermittent flash of a neon sign pulsates. And on a butt-scarred mahogany bureau, an old veneered radio plays songs of lost love and after-the-war dreams. The wood-grained metal bed upon which I rest bears the inevitable chintz spread, and a nightstand supports a lamp and an ancient portable typewriter. And the artwork, framed prints of sad flowers trying to look cheery, a musty landscape with leaden sky, the casino at Catalina Island, and a Moran cowgirl sitting on the corral fence. A few clothes, vintage, hang on wires on wire hooks, and on one dangles the obligatory shoulder holster. Above all, the fragrance of every such room that ever was mingles with the sweet scent of the wet pavements beyond. I have shown this room to a few. The famous or notorious love it and understand it and want to spend a night or more. The pretentiously unaware are repelled, sickened, and cannot get out soon enough. Which suits me just fine. And in the words of John Milton's Paradise Lost... The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. Summertime, summertime blues is what I have. You know why? Don't like the fucking summertime, okay? Think it sucks. Hot, sticky sucks. Hot, sticky sucks. Okay? Okay. People love the summertime because people are sheep. Good, good answer, sir. Thank you. It's summertime and it's so good. It's hot and sticky. <laughs> I don't fucking get it, man. Got to retire all my cool jackets for another fucking season, you know. I don't have to do that, but I don't want to be, you know, hanging out in a leather jacket. 90 degrees. That ain't cool. It's hot and sticky. Yeah, sir. Thank you. Good answer. Everyone goes to the beach. What is the, what is the, I don't get the beach. Where are you going? The beach? God, let's go to the beach. Man, we can just go to the beach. God, what do you want to do? Go to the beach? Yeah. Uh, if I could live at the beach. Could you imagine that? Living at the beach? What's the fucking deal with, it's where dirt meets water. All right? Chill out. That's it. End of fascination. I got a bathtub and an imagination. I'm staying indoors this summer, all right? That way I can listen to music I like. I don't know. Maybe I'm jealous. Everyone at the beach is perfect. Tan, white teeth. I got white skin, tan teeth. You know. <laughs> Not my environment. You put me under a neon beer light, I look pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Particularly if it's one of those blinking ones. Woo! Stud muffin. The fucking beach. I'm so pale, man. I take my shirt off at the beach. It's like a prism. People are just, Bill, put your shirt back on. We can't find our towels. All these moths are bumping into me. Boy, moths are weird. You ever wonder what moths bumped into before electric light bulbs were invented? Boy, the light bulb really fucked the moth up, didn't it? First light bulb ever turned on. Billions of moths. What? I don't get the appeal. What's the fucking deal with that, huh? What did they do before? Are there, are there moths on the way to the sun right now going, it's going to be worth it? 
hell of a commute, man. I don't wish that upon my little moth buddies. I just don't feel well, man. I had to set my alarm for this show, so it gives you an idea of what kind of excitement I lead during the day. Listen up, listen up. Hey, y'all, Good news. There's no devil. Bad news. Hell's no heaven. There's nothing to see. I'm your fellow informant. <laughs> All right. Okay, so that was Summertime as performed by Reverend Bill M. In the background, you are hearing Gershwin's Summertime, which is an amazing, amazing song. And then at the tail end of that, you heard Bill Hicks sort of giving his rant about summer. Thanks again. I truly appreciate it. And you're welcome, listeners. You're welcome. All right, Infernal Informant, here we are. This is Talking Points Memo. Federal Court Rules Against Birth Control Mandate. This is uh, Sahil Kapoor, July 29. A federal court on Friday ruled against the Obama administration's birth control mandate. The first court decided with its opponents. The decision isn't final, but the move could represent a breakthrough for conservatives determined to overturn the regulation made possible by the Affordable Care Act. A federal district judge in Colorado issued a temporary injunction permitting Hercules Industries, an air conditioning company based in the state, not to abide by the rule until the court reaches a decision on the merits of the case. The business owner, a Catholic who opposes contraception, argued that the mandate violates his religious liberty. Carter appointed Judge John Kane ruled that Hercules raised serious enough questions about the validity of the mandate under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to be given injunctive relief. In 1993, law says the government may not subsequently burden a person's exercise of religion, that laws that clash with religious freedoms be justified by compelling government interests and by narrowly tailored to meet that interest. Cain made it clear that the temporary injunction only applies to Hercules. This injunction is, however, premised on the alleged substantial burden on plaintiffs' free exercise of religion, not to any alleged burden on any other party's free exercise of religion, he wrote in his opinion. It does not enjoin enforcement of the preventative care coverage mandate against any other party. Numerous entities have unsuccessfully sued to block the contraception rule. The Colorado court's move could yet be anticlimactic if it ends up validating the requirements on the merits. But if not, the ruling pretends a series of legal fights that might end up in the Supreme Court. The rule, said to take effect next week, requires employee health insurance plans to cover contraception for women without co-pays, along with other preventative services. It exempts houses of worship, and grants religious nonprofits a one-year extension, along with the freedom to pass the cost of the birth control to the insurance company. The mandate was a subject of a heated debate earlier this spring when Republicans mounted a legislative push to repeal it. They backed off after losing control of the debate and taking a hit among women voters. Just over three months from Election Day, GOP leaders aren't interested in wading back into the fight. House Speaker John Boehner... Uh, Republican Ohio last week signaled that his party won't take legislative action against the mandate. That is the article. Uh, here's here's my problem. This is a business owner, right, who is providing insurance through an insurance company to his employees, who has gotten a temporary order saying he doesn't have to, through his insurance company, provide the health care that his employees would need. Uh, I Honestly, I, I don't really, I, I don't see how this is an issue at all. Uh, if you want health care and you're working for Hercules Industries Air Conditioning, stop working for them. Or get it yourself. I mean, realistically, uh, it's not that expensive. <laughs> Birth control isn't that expensive. On the other side of the coin, who cares what this Catholic's opinion is? It does, he's not taking it. 
It's not breaking his religious freedom or liberty by making his insurance company pay for it. This is literally just a, this guy wanting to be uh, shouting out in, in a special case of uh, religious isolation in this world. Shit like this drives me crazy. Because he is literally saying that his view of life and reality should apply to everyone. Now, his argument would be, well, no, you're forcing me to cover birth control, which I'm against. Well, right, it's forcing you to provide the option for health reasons. Preventing birth is only one part of birth control. Any moron knows that. There are actually other reasons to take birth control as women. Um, ask any of them. Or, I don't know, maybe educate yourself. But uh, just because you're offering it doesn't mean that you're going to be an ex-Catholic suddenly. Um, I mean, let's go out on a limb and say that, I don't know, you're supposed to be, uh, I don't know, the boss that cares for his employees, right? I mean, for, for health reasons, this is an amazingly great idea. For social reasons, this is an amazingly great idea. For economic reasons, this is above amazing. <laughs> Allowing all women and their spouses to control the spitting out of children. Because <laughs> everyone knows that's how it happens. <laughs> to, to allow, to plan their uh, family is hugely important. It, it not only keeps people off of, of falling into trouble by not being able to afford the children, it gets them away from that whole abortion thing that you hate so much. Uh, it allows them to, you know, I don't know, kind of plan their family, which is probably best for everyone, let's be quite honest. It's certainly going to be best for the kid. It's going to be best for the society that you're living in because you're not going to have to on the off chance take care of that child uh, because of social programs and uh, you know economic downfalls it is uh, irresponsible of this employer to take this personally and to apply it to his employees however if you work for him like I said before stop working for him I know this is a tough time for a lot of people, but guess what? There's a lot of other jobs, and I'm sure that this Hercules Industries air conditioning company is not the only place that you can get work in that area in Colorado. So, move on if you don't like it. And, uh, you know what? Because it's now legal for him to ignore this, just don't do business with him. If you don't like it, don't do business with him, and let uh, you know the meritocracy of commerce have him fail. <laughs> I mean, because that's what's going to happen. If you don't like him and you don't patronize him, then he's going to go out of business. And his problem's solved that way, too. So, you know, let's all help him solve his problem and go to some other air conditioning company. I'm sure there's more than one in Colorado. All right, in the next article here, let's look here. Converted Skeptic, Humans Driving Recent Warming. This is the New York Times Opinion Pages by Andrew C. Revkin. Richard Mueller, a cantankerous but creative physicist at the University of California, Berkeley, who once derided climate change research, then dove in with his own reconstruction of terrestrial temperature changes and confirmed substantial warming, has now concluded that recent warming is almost entirely human-caused. He claims his new analysis, which is being posted later today for public review, but has not yet been peer-reviewed, more than on that below, provides an even firmer view of human-driven warming than the 07 report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Here's the general flow of events, which are, as Keith Clore noted overnight, great fodder for the long-running soap opera, as the climate world turns. <laughs> <laughs> Mueller's team last fall submitted four papers summarizing its, recent, um, its review of a vast array of temperature records spanning two centuries to the general JGR atmospheres and posted them and supporting data and other material at Berkeley Earth Surface Temperature, or BEST, website. The papers have not been published yet, and one of the first questions for Mueller and his team now is, have they been accepted? 
The team's new strong conclusion about human-generated greenhound gases driving recent warming is one of several findings in a fifth paper that Mueller said is being submitted to the journal and posted on his website as well this afternoon. Mueller, who has combined P.T. Barnum's showmanship and science throughout his three-year project, chose to break the news in an op-ed article in the Times with various leaks and rumors percolating the website. There are perils in having publicly preceded peer review. For Hume, in the Times article, he's thrown down a gauntlet of remaining skeptics, demanding that they find any alternative explanation for the measured warming. And uh, here's a little blurb here. How definite is the attribution to humans? The carbon dioxide curve gets a better match than anything else we've tried. Its magnitude is consistent with the calculated greenhouse effect, extra warming from trapped heat radiation. These facts don't prove causality, and they shouldn't end skepticism. But they raise the bar to be considered seriously. An alternative explanation must match the data at least as well as carbon dioxide does. After the first round of papers went online last fall, some climate scientists, while put off by Mueller's past diatribes and self-promotional zeal, were mildly enthusiastic. But others, notably the climate modeler William Connolly, through his stout blog, have dismissed Mueller's work, old and new, as rubbish. It's particularly notable that one collaborator on the first batch of papers, Judith Curry of the Georgia Institute of Technology, declined to be included as an author on the new one. I learned this when I sent her this question by email. Do you share Rich's extremely high confidence on the attribution of recent warming to humans? Here's Curry's reply. I was invited to be a co-author on the new paper. I declined. I gave them my review of the paper, which was highly critical. I don't think this new paper adds anything to our understanding of attribution of the warming. I really like the data itself. It's when they do science with it that they get into trouble. Curry also sent this note, which she is uh, distributing to other journalists. The best team, BEST, has produced the best land surface temperature data set that we currently have. It's the best in the sense of including the most data and expending further back on time. The data quality control and processing use objective, statistically robust techniques. That said, the scientific analysis that the BEST team, BEST, has done with the new data set are controversial, including the impact of station quality on interpreting temperature trends and the urban heat island effect. Their latest paper on the 250-year record concludes that the best explanation for the observed warming is greenhouse gas emissions. Their analysis is way oversimplistic and not at all convincing in my opinion. There is broad agreement that greenhouse gas emissions have contributed to the warming in the latter half of the 20th century. The big question is how much of this warming can we attribute to greenhouse gas emission? I don't think this question can be answered by the simple curve fitting used in this paper, and I don't see that the paper adds anything to our understanding of the causes of the recent warming. That said, I think there are two interesting results in this paper regarding the analysis of the 19th century volcanoes and the impact on climate, and also the changes to the diurnal temperature range. From my perspective as a long-time but lay analyst of climate science, my sense is she has it right. The data-shifting methods of the Berkeley Project, largely developed by a brilliant data analyst Robert Rode, have clearly added value to long-standing efforts to clarify temperature trends across a variegated planet. But the conclusions Muller describes now seem to... Uh, too oversimplistic, as Curry, Connolly, and others say. In an email Sunday morning, Curry said she'll be posting a long analysis of the new paper later today, written by Stephen Mosher and Zeki Housefather, who have examined the Berkeley work in her blog before. It appears that Mueller has pushed to get the new findings submitted now, because Tuesday is the deadline for general submissions, for research to be considered in the next climate science report for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. If the Berkeley analysis turns out to have been rushed or its conclusions poorly supported, you'll quickly see opponents of limits on greenhouse gases join Connolly's rubbish chorus. And once again, it'll be clear that science alone is unlikely to break the political blockade over this issue. 
What's Up With That Blogger Anthony Watts, who criticized Mueller last year as rushing flawed work, also appears poised to weigh in this afternoon. Setting aside questions about the robustness of Mueller's scientific conclusions, there is certainly plenty of evidence to support his article's capping point, which is that clarifying the scientific picture of a human-heated plane is relatively easy compared to weighing responses to this long-established reality. I hope the Berkeley Earth Analysis will help settle the scientific debate regarding global warming and its human causes. Then comes the difficult part, agreeing across a political and diplomatic spectrum about what can and should be done. The aspects of the climate problem that make it beyond super wicked mostly lie outside the realm of science. And there's an update. Elizabeth Mueller of the Berkeley Temperature Project has responded to several questions I asked about their work. Here are the questions. What is the status of the four papers that were submitted this fall? Accepted, in review, etc. Two, there can be perils when publicity precedes peer review. Are you all confident that the time was right to post the papers, including the new one ahead of review? Presumably this has to do with Tuesday's deadline for IPCC eligibility. Three, Judith Curry said she provided very critical comments for the new paper and declined to be author. The prime concern, and that of William Connolly being the curve fitting alone, is nowhere near sufficient for attribution. Is the team confident her worries are unfounded? All of the articles have been submitted to journals, and we have received substantial journal peer reviews. None of the reviews have indicated any mistakes in the papers. They have instead been primarily suggestions for additions, further citations of the literature. One review has no complaints about the content of the paper, but suggests delaying the publication until the long background paper describing our methods in detail was actually published. In addition to this journal peer review, we have had extensive comments from other scientists based on the more traditional method of peer review, circulation of preprints to, the sci- to other scientists. It's worthwhile remembering that tradition in science, going back pre-World War II, has been to circulate preprints of articles that have not yet been accepted by a journal for publication. This was truly peer review, and it was very helpful in uncovering errors and assumptions. We have engaged extensively in such peer review. Of course, rather than sending the preprints to all the major science libraries, as was done in the past, we now post them online. Others make use of an RxIV that has proven so effective in some of the fields, e.g. stream theory, the journalistic review process is avoided altogether, and papers are not submitted to journals. We are not going to that extreme, but rather are taking advantage of the traditional method. We note that others in the climate community have used this traditional approach with great effectiveness. Jim Hansen, for example, frequently puts his papers online even before they're submitted to journals. Jim has found this method to be very useful and effective, as have we. As Jim is one of the most prominent members of the climate community and has been doing this for so long, we're surprised that some journalists and scientists think we're departing from current tradition. The journal publication process takes time. This fact is especially true when new methods of analysis are introduced. We'll be posting revised versions of three of the four papers previously posted later today. The fourth paper has not changed significantly. The core content of the papers is still the same, though the organization and detail has changed a fair amount. The new paper, which was informally called Results Paper, has also undergone journal peer review, and none of the the review required changing our results. We're posting it online today as a preprint because we also want to invite comments and suggestions from the larger scientific community. I believe the findings in our papers are too important to wait for the year or longer that it could take to complete the journal review process. We believe in the traditional peer review. We welcome feedback, the public, and any scientists who are interested in taking the time to make thoughtful comments. Indeed, when the first four papers submitted, many of the best comments came from the broader scientific community. Our papers have received scrutiny by dozens of top scientists, not just the two or three that typically are called upon by journalists. We also believe in full transparency, which is why we are posting our data and programs, even before our results have been formally published in a journal. We would love for other people to get into the data and analysis. The sooner, the better. Again, we think the results are important, and they need to be looked at sooner rather than later. Regarding Judith Curry, 
there is broad general agreement that the results released today give a new and improved estimate of the global land temperature going back 250 years. Judith also agrees that the findings on volcanoes and changed to the diurnal temperature range, both discussed in the results paper, make useful contributions to the field. The disagreement comes over the Berkeley Earth's use of a simple model fitting the temperature record for the past 250 years to human CO2 emissions and volcanoes to conclude that the best explanation for the observed warming is greenhouse gas emissions. The match between the data and the theory doesn't doesn't prove that carbon dioxide is responsible for warming, however. It does mean that any alternative explanation should do as well or better. While the Berkeley Earth team values the simplicity of the model, indeed, in physics, the simple model is generally considered the best, Curry is not convinced and thinks it is oversimplistic. These sorts of disagreements are common among scientists and contribute usefully to advancing science. Another update here quickly. Anthony Watts has posted a package of his blog on a new paper, like Mueller's pre-publication, concluding the United States temperature trends in recent decades are spuriously doubled with 92% of that overestimation resulting from erroneous NOAA adjustments of well-sighted stations upward. The paper is the first to use the updated sighting system, which addresses the USHCN sighting issues and data adjustments. This means, as a challenge to Mueller's conclusions, given that much rests on the substantial warming in recent decades. Wow. Okay, so obviously, I, I love that there is a debate, and I love that the scientists are allowing the scientific process and peer review process to take place. What drives me crazy about this whole issue is that it's in the political arena. And that's where I think we um, allow the media to turn political spin and people start uh, making up their minds about this. It is obvious that every single scientist studying climate change does so from a skeptic's stance. And though they release papers with their best hypothesis of causation... They are still open to criticism and reviewing their findings. The data may be fact, but the interpretation of the data is never fact. And that's what is amazing about all this. And it's continuing. So don't ever listen to a political party when it comes to science and certainly with climate change. Don't ever make up your mind really about anything. Nothing is firm and truth. We must always be... This is a very satanic thing here. Skepticism is integral to being a Satanist. Absolutes do not exist in our worldview. And I love that this article really brings that idea home. So I wanted to bring it to you. We're going to take a short break, and then on the other side, I'm going to give you a little review in the Creature Feature of Steve Jobs. See you there. Are you looking for music from the 80s and the new wave, post-punk, and other hits? Jay Nothing, the host of the Metro, will take you back to the 80s with songs that made the decade of me so memorable. Get the weekly updates at RadioFreeSatan.com. And remember, Hail Satan. down into Lambert's basement and join me, Dave Ingram and Eagle where we time travel via nostalgia to a golden age of big band swing and jazz only available on Radio Free Satan Message. 
Prepare yourself for Deep Six Radio. I am Matt, host of Deep Six Radio. And I am in Russ. Yes, we are. So if you want to be one of the six taking on the oh-so-lovely Idris and want to be featured on the show... Send your emails... And MP3s... To us at... Deep6... At RadioFreeSatan.com Include a bio... And anything you want mentioning on air... We are open to any genre... Apart from rap... Deep6 also includes a fine selection of alternative rock... As well as multiple other genres... So why not jump on the roller coaster? That is Deep6 Radio... Deep6 is available on... RadioFreeSatan.com And also iTunes... A week later, we, we look, look forward, forward to, to you joining us. End of the line. Oh, God. No. Just me. <laughs> Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Alright, Steve Jobs. This uh, was written by Walter Isaacson. Let me give you a little bit of a description here, and then I'll give you my take so far. And as I said at the beginning, I'm I'm three-fourths of the way through with this. I really do enjoy it, but then... I'm also a designer, and so having used Apple com- products throughout my entire design career, and before that, I mean, my first personal computer in my house was a Macintosh. Uh, I, I have a vested interest in this biography. It's just interesting to me, and I, I find it compelling. And he is a, a type of a person that I, I'm not really in line with, but I can understand and uh, I can appreciate, uh, even through the fallacy. Okay, so let me give you the the brief description here. Based on more than 40 interviews with Jobs conducted over two years, as well as interviews with more than 100 family members, friends, adversaries, competitors, and colleagues, Walter Isaacson has written a riveting story of the roller coaster life and searingly intense personality of a creative entrepreneur whose passion for perfection and ferocious drive revolutionized six industries. Personal computers, animated movies, music, phones, tablet computing, and digital publishing. At a time when America is seeking ways to sustain its innovative edge, and when societies around the world are trying to build digital age economies, Jobs stands as the ultimate icon of inventiveness and applied imagination. He knew that the best way to create value in the 20th century was to connect creativity with technology. He built a company where leaps of the imagination were combined with remarkable feats of engineering. Although Jobs cooperated with this book, he asked for no control over what was written, nor even the right to read it before it was published. He put nothing off limits. He encouraged the people he knew to speak honestly. And Jobs speaks candidly, sometimes brutally so, about the people he worked with and competed against. His friends, foes, and colleagues provide an unvarnished view of the passions, perfectionism, obsessions, artistry, devilry, and compulsion for control that shaped his approach to business and the innovative products that resulted. Driven by demons, Jobs could drive those around him to fury and despair. But his personality and products were interrelated, just as Apple's hardware and software tended to be, as if part of an integrated system. His tale is instructive and cautionary, filled with lessons about innovation, character, leadership, and values. Okay, so like I said, I I was introduced by Macintosh Computers... Uh, when they, my my mother bought one, she was a publisher for a magazine. She worked in their print shop and thought it would be nice to have a computer in the home when I was a child. Uh, I was uh, three or four at the time, I believe. It was huge. Had a little mouse. They ended up getting this little mouse cover that looked like a little mouse. It was kind of goofy and funny. 
<laughs> as a child, it was it was a standard. I didn't know what else to expect, and it wasn't until I would join the military years later that I would realize that as a child, I was playing with something. I was messing around with this Macintosh computer that was up until 1994 more advanced than anything I would touch in the interim. That is huge. That is revolutionary. That is unbelievable. That as and, and I'm talking about uh, the 80s here. I, I, I would be playing with a Macintosh computer, this really, really old product that's operating system, though it, it was in black and white, was still ahead of, of Windows 3 that I would have buddies actually running on their computer later in life. It, it, was, it was stunning. It was amazing. The PCs couldn't touch it for operating. I mean, they were working off of DOS when, when Windows graphic user interface was out. I mean, talk about light years. So, I thought it was a standard. I didn't know anything about a difference until years later. So I can understand why there would be jealousy in that field for those who were not on par with what Apple was creating. And I was shocked. I mean, it didn't affect me personally at all, but when when Steve Jobs was ousted from Apple, founded Next Computers, eventually uh, that was a failing idea. But their operating system wasn't. And then uh, went into Pixar, revolutionized what animated movies could be. And then with, with uh, <laughs> significant help from Walt Disney, we, we have to put that in, into play. And then was brought back into the Apple Fold when Apple was failing. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then the products that they put out after that. I mean, you, you may not like Macs because you're comfortable and familiar with using Windows products. But you cannot deny the mark. The Macintosh computers made on multiple different industries, education, and life as we know it. Could you imagine navigating the internet off of DOS? Do you know what DOS is? There's, there's a little program called Command Prompt on your Windows 7 computer. That was DOS! It was literally a black screen, white text, and you just typed in what would happen. That was the world before <laughs> Macintosh. I mean, they literally brought it to this visual realm. What I, what I love about this book is that it doesn't hold punches. It, 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 is, not, it is not feeding the, the Mac uh, fanatics need for this deity of Steve Jobs. It, it shows Steve in, in all of his flawed behaviors. He would walk around and talk. He, he was very adept at lesser magic. And in the book, they addressed it as a reality distortion field. Steve Jobs uh, believed that you could literally warp reality with your behavior, with your will. And that is a very satanic element um, that I, I can truly appreciate as an individual because I, <laughs> I do it on my own um, to a, a lesser degree here. But he would convince people that they could do things that they were convinced that they could not, and thereby meet deadlines that were insane to expect, and deliver product that was years ahead of its time. Now, I right now I'm recording this, no, not on a Mac, on a Windows PC. I, I enjoy Windows products, um, I enjoy Mac products, I think they each have their place, <clears throat> but I can truly appreciate what Mac has brought to uh, the technical fold, and really what Steve Jobs has uh, brought to the the industry. I mean, and, and here's one thing that I find truly impressive and important, is that he didn't just come out with a good idea and implement it. He came out with a good idea, or he stood on the shoulders of those and, and this is one really great thing about a personality that I love and that they make a, a big deal about in, in the book here is that someone would come to him with an idea. Groundbreaking, breaking, revolutionary, really out-of-the-box idea. And he would tell them how retarded it was, how stupid it was, how flawed it was. 
A week later, he would come back and pitch that exact same idea to the exact person he just told it was stupid and act like he had come up with it. That is the type of... Like, he, he would immediately dismiss ideas and then think about them, realize the brilliance in them, and then pitch them to the people who he just mocked for having the original idea as if it was his own and he wouldn't say anything about it. He would he would take ideas and act like they were his and he had a showmanship about him. I mean, really, this guy was a magician of, of behavior and expression and presentation. He could rile up a, a room of, of real tech geeks and that... <laughs> I don't know if you've ever met a tech geek. That's a that's a big thing, right? I mean, it's it's easy to sort of pander to those that are sort of just uh, on the Mac side, but but making those who are fervent anti-Mac believers really turn to I mean, just the iPhone, for example, turn to Apple and see them as genius in design, in construction, in in user interface just in usability and recognize that. I mean, that's literally taking someone that hates you and making them love you. They've done it. And uh, Steve Jobs is not the only reason, but he is a large reason. And just reading this book, you can see what a brilliant lesser magic practitioner he was. And for that reason alone, it's worth reading just as applied lesser magic. uh, Sort of a study in. What I love about it is that it's going, and this is actually the reason why it was given to me by my boss, there's some really great advertising and brand um, sections in it, uh, talking about design and application and, and building a brand. And, and for my personal profession, that's integral. I mean, that's what I do for a living. So so it's a great book for that as well. If, if you are a, a fan of Apple products, if you are a fan of Lesser Magic, if you like to hear about other humans' lives, definitely pick up Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. It is worth it. It is a hefty book, but it is worth the read. Um, or if you're more into audiobooks, it is definitely worth a listen. So pick it up. You won't regret it. And that's going to do it for Creature Feature. Um, yeah, looks like we're, we're out of time here. So that's going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. And though I haven't mentioned it in a long time, I do have the Halloween episode, Greater Magic Feature, wrapped around some very powerful satanic witches. So if you have questions that you want directed to a feminine magic, greater magic practitioner, or just questions about greater magic in and of itself that I may not have covered in last year's Halloween greater magic episode, send them to me. Send them to info at 9centspodcast.com. And again, if you didn't hear last year's, it is on the website. It is in my old RSS feed. You can find it there. Check it out. I have Reverend Bill M. and Satanist Storm both talking about their personal uh, greater magic experience, techniques, tricks, um, and uh, we, we really get into it for a little over an hour, so it's a lot of fun. Don't miss out on this year's. It's going to be a very powerful episode. I've got some really great guests lined up that that you've heard on the show before, but uh, you know they're going to strike home with a lot of you on poignancy. So send me your questions. It's going to be great. And and this happened last year. Okay, I didn't get questions until a week or two or three before the episode aired, and it was too late to get to them. So if you want your question covered, send it soon. Sooner the better. Uh, I will make sure that I get it into you if you send it to me sooner. But I cannot promise if you wait till October that your question is going to get in there. All right, you can visit the SatanNet Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 cents and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit ChurchOfSatan.com. And like I said before, they just revamped their website. Go check it out. 
you, you can find the news at news.churchofsatan.com, but churchofsatan.com, a uh, really great website, a lot of amazing resources, a lot of amazing essays. Don't miss that. If you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!